Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Daily Bread. It's been a while. Uh, I'm glad to have you. I'm your host, David. Haven't done the show in about six months. I think the last episode was June or July. And uh, happy to be back. A lot, a lot has happened since then, obviously, in the uh, crypto world. So, I don't know. I'll just jump right into it. Uh, we'll start with a little, a few notes on the show that'll be different. Um, I will no longer be doing everything myself, which is nice. I used to edit and do all the post-production, everything, thumbnails, the whole thing. Uh, now I have an editor producer, so they're going to be helping me out with the show. And what that means is there will be a long form version. That's like the normal version. That's going to be like an hour, whatever the normal length is. And then there will be a shortened edited version that will come out later um, if you don't want to watch like the full thing and you just want the highlights from the show. Uh, also, going to be bringing back some interviews. I'm going to try to interview more traders. I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy always interviewing founders and that's why I stopped because it became very, very, very repetitive of like, you know, what, you know, how'd you get into crypto? What, what do you like? What's your project? Give it, you know, it's like very repetitive and boring and I didn't really like it. I may still have some founders or projects on, but I'm more interested in like traders and investors and getting their takes on things rather than traders all the time or that rather than founders all the time. So less founders, more traders, but there will still be the solo show as well as the, uh, as the interviews. Um, I'm going to try to make this weekly right now. The schedule is going to be, I'm going to record these on Wednesday evenings and then hopefully they will be up on Thursday mornings uh, or by midday US time. Uh, we'll see the schedule. I'm going to see what works. Um, so this may change a bit. We're going to have, we're going to test things out in, in, in the beginning here, but ideally I want this to be a weekly show again uh, going forward. And I think that's pretty much it. If you guys have any traders or anybody you want on the show, let me know. I'll see if I can get them on. Um, a lot of you probably do not know me uh, because the last time I did an episode, I had like less than half the followers on Twitter I do now. So if you're coming from Twitter, hello. This is not the first time I've doxed. I have plenty of videos that you can go watch from the bear market. Um, but this is the first bull market daily bread. So I think we should just get right into it. So I wanted to start with just the state of the market and kind of catch up since I literally haven't done an episode. I think the last episode I did was when the BlackRock ETF first got announced. I think that was the last one. Um, so a lot has happened since then. And obviously the ETF trade itself has been the biggest narrative driver of price action over the last like month or two. Um, so I wanted to give my big picture ideas on the ETF trade itself now that we are in December and approaching the ETF approval dates potentially uh, between January 5th and January 10th seems to be the date range, uh, but also kind of the longer term next year or so views. So the ETF trade itself, I think has given us a ton of juice. And I don't know how much more juice there is to squeeze on that at least as far as Bitcoin goes, um, we may still continue to, to do to go to newer highs. Uh, at the time I'm recording this, Bitcoin is 42.7, um, and we tapped the high of like 44-ish area. Um, so we may continue to go higher. Uh, it's hard to make predictions because a lot of this stuff was just driven purely by like an insane spot bid that was totally relentless. Um, that kept 
coming and coming and coming and they kept putting major bid walls and every time every time it seemed like they were done buying they would buy more um, some of that was sailor himself on coinbase a lot of that was on binance um but i don't know the thing with sailor is that he announced his next 750 million bitcoin that he's going or dollars worth of bitcoin that he's going to buy that was like two three weeks ago now i don't know how quickly from those announcements he begins buying but typically there's a few week delays i believe so it could very well be that right about now or soon he is going to start buying even more bitcoin spot um so i don't even know a lot of you know it's funny because there was this like mysterious bitcoin bidder who is it is it is it blackrock seeding the fund is it other institutions getting in and then it seems like most of it was just sailor again so that's kind of like frankly good news in my opinion some people say it's bad news but i think it's good news because it means that all those people have not bought yet and they still need to buy um and so we'll see if that the coinbase spot bid returns in force and if it does soon it's probably just more sailor again um even though a lot of the the custody for um, a lot of the Bitcoin ETFs, including BlackRock's, will be on Coinbase. Now, how they will acquire the Bitcoin for seeding, they may do OTC, they may buy on market. I don't know. I don't frankly know a lot of the mechanics of how that works. Um, and I don't think anyone really knows exactly what they're going to do. But nonetheless, the ETF trade, I think everyone's aware of, what will happen going into it? You know, the interesting thing is that it's become pretty consensus that the ETF will be sell the news. Uh, and in the beginning, I was more with it, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And now it seems like it's very consensus, which it may very well be, right? If everyone thinks it's sell the news and everyone sells on the news, then it's sell the news. Um, what happened specifically on the day of or the couple days surrounding the ETF uh, announcement? is very hard to predict. I would assume we see some type of spike up, sell down, just tons of volatility, right? That's the only thing you can probably predict confidently. As far as specific price action, you know, it's anyone's best guess. But more importantly to me, I think, is what happens after. Because say it is sell the news, right? And I assume there will be a lot of selling just because a lot of people will be up a lot and want to take profits and de-risk after this big event. If it is sell the news and say, you know, I'm just going to throw blind numbers. This is not prediction at all. But let's say like Bitcoin goes like over 50K or hits 50K or whatever on the day of the, the event. And then, you know, after that dumps back down to 40 or something like that, right? And there's just major volatility. Uh, I think whatever the dump happens, I think you probably buy that, right? I think you probably buy that dump and... You probably, I mean, the other thing is you want to watch the flows on the ETFs themselves. I think the tricky part here is a lot of people are going to be watching like the instant flows, the day of the, the first week flows. And I, I, part of me wonders, will those be a little bit of a psyop? Because I don't know how fast or how instant all these, you know, funds on the sidelines are waiting for this ETF and then as soon as the ETF happens, they're just going to start buy, 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 buy. I don't know that that's going to happen right away. Um, it may very well. It may very well. But I think a lot of people, I think there's a, a very likely scenario where the ETF flows are kind of slow right off the bat. And a lot of people get 
turbo bearish and say that was like our mini cycle it's over we're going down and we do um and then slowly but surely in the coming weeks you see more of a trickle in um and i think i just i just think that you have to maintain a bullish outlook over the next year and a lot of these specific short-term events are going to be very easy to uh, lose longer-term conviction in. Now, if you're a trader, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take advantage of the volatility. But as far as like longer-term spot backs and especially longer-term entry possibilities, I think there's going to be some great ones. Um, and especially, I mean, especially on alts. If BTC does nuke, I can only imagine what alts would do, right? We would see a tremendous dump in a lot of these alts. And I think that's a great opportunity. Uh, because I, 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 you have to be, I just think you have to be very bullish on Bitcoin and crypto over the next like 12 to 18 months for a variety of reasons. Um, one of the big ones is just what happened today with the FOMC. I'm recording this the day at, uh, of FOMC uh, meeting where Jerome Powell basically said uh, for the first time, that they are considering rate cuts, that, that rate cuts are now on the table. Before it was something that it was not even a discussion. We'll get to it when we get to it. And now it seems like, oh no, these are something that are more on the table. And I think even more bluntly, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, said that if inflation is coming down, then it very much justifies doing rate hikes to keep real rates stable, right? She much more bluntly said it. Jerome Powell was a little more coy. But I think the message is very clear, and this is something that a lot of people have been saying, is that rates may come down much sooner than expected. And it just goes to show that macro experts and geniuses have just been totally wrong. I mean, frankly, the majority of them have been totally, totally wrong. You know, they, they started by saying, oh, there will be a recession in the first half of 2023. And then when that didn't happen, they said, there's going to be a recession in the second half of 2023. And now they're saying, oh, there's going to be a recession in the second half of 2024. Listen, I think trying to be in this prediction game macro-wise is very foolish. I, I, think, I think what you can know is where the trends are heading. And where the trend is heading is that Inflation has come down, right? Especially the, the secular inflation, the core CPI, right? The core measurements. A lot of the inflation was driven by, you know, you had you had the Ukraine war that drove off gas prices, uh, or I should say oil prices, and then natural gas prices in Europe. And uh, you had lots of uh, short-term supply constraints supply, uh, in, in during COVID and all types of reasons why uh, inflation spiked temporarily and all those have mostly normalized and then the core cpi which is the main thing that the fed looks at has also begun to come down the fed cannot just keep rates high for as long as it would like to there's many reasons for this and one of the main ones frankly is just that the u.s has to pay that interest right and it's no secret that the debt has just continued to inflate and there's no signs of slowing it down and there's not really much of an interest or a mandate to slow it down even from voters right it used to be a big issue back in the day where, oh the debt is such a big problem but because the debt has just keep kept going up and going up and going up and they said oh when we hit 10 trillion it's a disaster when we hit 20 trillion it's a disaster well now we're over 30 and i think the average person says i don't know maybe we can just go into infinite debt right 
Whether that's true or not doesn't really matter. The point is that the general public, in terms of their voting, don't seem to care that much about the debt. And certainly Congress doesn't care that much about the debt, right? We've had some shutdowns because of a few people within Congress. But for the most part, people don't care that much. And there's just not that much of a mandate to try to bring the debt down. And so because of that, interest rates matter quite a bit, right? Because those need to be serviced. And the longer that interest rates are high, the more service on that debt is going to come out of the budget, right? I forget the exact percentage, but a very non-insignificant percent of the U.S. budget is now just simply paying interest, right? And then on top of that, obviously, you know, you can only keep rates high for so long in terms of economic stimulus and, you know, it's in the best interest of uh, the wealthy to keep interest rates low because it creates asset inflation. And so if you have all of this in mind and the Fed and the Treasury are basically telling you we are going to cut rates sooner than you think and you already see risk assets reacting to this strongly, you see the bond market reacting to this strongly, I think the message is very clear. And so then you have to look at crypto and Bitcoin specifically. You know, Bitcoin is in this very um, unique position now where it's got this duality to it because it's both a risk asset and I would still it's, say it's more a risk asset than anything, but it is also very much becoming what it was always intended to be, uh, which is this fiat debasement hedge and you know digital gold right that's the meme and it's becoming increasingly real right it's becoming increasingly real that people are taking bitcoin seriously i don't know how else to put it people are taking bitcoin seriously and you have this duality the, the, the interesting thing with bitcoin and crypto is that it's in many ways it is inherently reactionary. Um, and I mean that in the political sense, right? I mean, it is, it is politically reactionary. And, 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 and it's, it's inherently because it's very core, right? If you look at the creation of Bitcoin, it, it came out in 2008, 2009, when we were going through the Great Recession, right? And there was the famous bank bailout uh, controversy. And there was the famous um, uh, what was the protest called? I can't even remember now. Um, the Wall Street, what are the Wall Street protests called? Um, oh my God, I can't even remember. Anyways, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. Occupy Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street, right? It was, it came out of that, right? Now, whether it had been already been in the works and all that, blah, 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 blah. Yes, but that's when it was launched and Satoshi specifically reference this and all of the white paper and all of the early Bitcoin days were all about fiat's going to shit. We need a new alternative to gold. This is better gold, right? All that, you know, the spiel and I don't need to give it to you. But for a while, it was kind of a meme and it was like the speculative thing. And it was much more like a risk asset than anything else. And there's been a lot of true hardcore believers, but especially in recent years, most people in crypto uh, are much more in it just for the money and for the speculation than anything else. But now it almost feels like 
we've come full circle on Bitcoin. Because back in the, I would say pre 20, I don't know, I guess, I, I guess really like I think the strongest Bitcoin believer era was like the 2014 to 16 era. And then in 2017, you started having like the ICO craze and all that. And then obviously in 21, crypto went into its scam era where uh, I don't think there was a lot of belief in Bitcoin in 21. It was more like, oh my God, I'm just going to get rich on crypto. But now we've kind of come full circle where I think a lot of this is driven by, frankly, high net worth individuals, potentially sovereign uh, funds, certainly institutions buying Bitcoin and acknowledging it's something that they need to own, if at the very least as a hedge for global fiat inflation, right? We are in an inflationary asset bubble. There's just no other way to look at it. And we are in one, not just in the United States, but globally, right? If anything, if there's any currency that you should own, it's the dollar, right? Even though that itself is getting inflated to all hell, every other global currency is inflating versus the dollar, right? There's just no way that Bitcoin is not going to go up in value in this current regime without some type of major regime change in the in the fiat system. Not to go all Bitcoin maxi here, uh, but there's just no way Bitcoin's not going to keep going up on a long term basis. And that's what I mean by it's inherently reactionary, right? It is a reaction to the regime. You wouldn't need Bitcoin if you didn't have mass debasement of currency, right? But we do. And because of that, there is a demand for something that does not debase, right? Now, gold bugs would tell you that's gold, but clearly gold price action, while it has improved in the past year or so, there's a lot of forces at play with gold uh, that are not at play with Bitcoin. And frankly, in many ways, you know, Bitcoin is a better gold. Um, I don't need to get into all the, uh, the, the arguments there that's been done to death, the transportability, the, the ability to hide it and custody it and all this stuff. Um, and so because Bitcoin is inherently reactionary to the regime, how it all ends up, I don't know. Uh, but how I can tell you, what I can tell you is that it will keep going up over the next two years. It doesn't mean it won't have volatility. That doesn't mean we won't have big runs and crashes. But almost with certainty at this point, the lindiness of Bitcoin has set in. And you have to really think about it too from a perspective of a lot of people, not just in finance, but in the broader public who, how many times have they heard crypto is dead? Bitcoin is dead. Oh, is that still a thing? Oh, you're still doing that, right? I'm sure you've all heard it. At what point, how many cycles, how many times do they have to hear Bitcoin died and then, oh, you missed the generational buy opportunity and now Bitcoin's worth all this money. And oh, look at all these people getting rich on crypto, right? How many times are these people gonna see that and hear that and realize that, you know what? Maybe this crypto thing isn't a fad. Maybe Bitcoin is actually legitimate. Maybe it really is here to stay, right? And frankly, I mean, now it just becomes more obvious. I mean, we have Larry Fink going on television, right? The CEO of BlackRock will go on television and talk about Bitcoin, right? Uh, 
I don't know what more people want, you know? And I think one of the more fascinating things too is the resiliency of crypto, frankly, because it was just a year ago, it was November last year, that FTX totally collapsed. And that was truly, I think, one of the moments where not just the broader public, the broader public completely turned on crypto. Any financial, tech, whatever podcast you listen to, they were just like, crypto's totally dead. Who cares? This is over. It's a total fraud. It's a total scam. And then on top of that, just the general public. I mean, people lost a lot of money, obviously. Uh, and and just the general idea of like, oh, the golden boy, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, the one that named FTX Arena and had Tom Brady and Steph Curry. This was all a fraud bigger than Bernie Madoff or biggest since Bernie Madoff or whatever, right? That was like a year ago. And frankly, this year, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty active. We certainly had dead periods in the year, but I mean, you had the January out the gate rally in Q1. You had the meme coin season in April. Uh, you had the June, August, June, July, August rally with the initial, uh, uh, you know, BlackRock ETF. And then now basically since October, We've had this real, real, like what seems like the beginning of a new bull market uh, in crypto that has coincided with equities, where it seems very real that people are just deploying money again. Um, and so really the, the, the resiliency of crypto, I think, has been very impressive, even to people within it. I don't think even most people within crypto thought that if you told them a year, I mean, imagine a year ago, imagine when Bitcoin was $15,000 a year ago, that it would be over 40,000 just a year later. I don't think most people would believe you. Most people, if you ask them, even within crypto, forget the broader public, just within crypto, would you make that bet? Most people would say, absolutely not. I would not bet on that at all. They would say like, maybe we'd be back in the 20s at the most 30s. They would not say we'd be over 40,000, right? No shot. No shot. I mean, people were like, crypto's dead. Come back in two years. I mean, I remember having these conversations where it's like, yeah, maybe we just come back in a year, you know, after FTX collapsed. So it's been much more resilient. And uh, another thing, too, is that there was so much talk this year about the four-year cycle. And, oh, what's going to happen? And so many people said the four-year cycle is not going to happen because... Everybody knows about it now. Everybody knows about the having or the having cycle and everybody knows all this stuff. And that's true. And a lot of people, I think we're right that the four-year cycle is not going to happen. But they said it in the way of, oh, it's going to take longer. It's going to take six, seven years instead of four because this was so bad. Crypto is so dead. People are so in uninterested. And they were probably right that the four-year cycle is over. But instead of it being elongated, it was front-run. And that's the critical mistake so many people made. In fact, it's the opposite. In fact, the four-year cycle is being front-run. Everything is being accelerated. And even, and, and even equities, frankly, right? Equities really got off pretty easy. Now, I know it's been I know it's been a very uh, top-heavy rally, and I know it's been concentrated within a few stocks in general. But let's be honest. For average Joe, for most people, and frankly, many institutions, their biggest exposure is through the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, 
right? That is their index exposure. So for most people, you know, it wasn't a great time, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad of a, of a, of a bear market. Frankly, I don't even know if you could really, I mean, I guess you could call it a bear market, but I don't know. You certainly didn't get a recession, right? You certainly didn't get the greatest recession in the history of the world. This is the new great depression and all of these things that people were saying. You didn't get any of that. They're still waiting for the big one. And in the meantime, while everyone's waiting for the big one, we're pretty much back at all-time highs on equities. We're just, we're just this shy. And crypto has, you know, Bitcoin's up, uh, you know, more than 3x off the bottom. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know when the big one's coming, but I'm not waiting for it. And again, this gets back to this inflationary asset bubble. I, I think that a lot of people thought that after 2021, that that was the peak, that things can't get crazier than that. And it's almost like, well, maybe they can because like I said, so long as you live in this, in this regime, who's going to change it, right? Who's going to change it? And I don't even mean regime in terms of like Democrats versus Republicans. I'm not talking about that because it doesn't matter, frankly. Like next year in the election, you know, if Biden wins, you know, Democrats spend lots of money. They historically are not concerned with, with fiscal issues. And if Trump wins on the Republican side, I mean, Trump showed us what he's going to do, right? We already saw four years of Trump, like, being mad at Jerome Powell for not having interest rates at zero because Europe had theirs at zero, right? And 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 not caring at all, right? Trump very much measured his performance uh, as president by the price of the Dow Jones, right? How many tweets about the Dow Jones did Donald Trump make? So I don't really think whose president matters in terms of the fiat regime, right? Obviously, it matters for other things. But in terms of the, are we going to lower interest rates and print money? I don't really think it matters who wins. And so if you acknowledge that, then why would assets come down significantly? And, and housing is a great example of this too. How many times over the last I don't know, 20 years, probably longer, right? At least my lifetime. I've been here my whole life, especially since 2008, right? Because you actually had a housing crash. Since then, how many times have you heard, oh my gosh, houses are just getting too expensive. They're going to they're gonna come down. People can't afford them, blah, 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 blah. They haven't come down, right? The only thing that houses do is just kind of temporarily stop going up for a little bit for the most part they may come down a little bit in certain super hot markets that were like you know doubling in two years right and they came down a bit but other than that it's mostly just like a like like my my favorite chart that i like to post all the time on twitter in terms of the up sideways up sideways the nep the uh, or no what is it the the uh the nec the no entry chart right that's what I call it, the neck chart, the NEC, the no entry chart. That's basically housing prices. You know, a lot of a lot of houses that were three, four hundred thousand five years ago are like seven, eight hundred thousand now. And they're not really coming down. They just temporarily stopped going up. And I don't see how that changes, frankly because you're not going to have some great increase in supply that clearly hasn't happened uh, despite housing prices going up tremendously. Uh, there is just no mandate to increase the supply. And you're just going to continue to have 
unlimited amount of real estate supply versus an unlimited amount of fiat supply. And it's just a simple supply and demand equation, right? And if fiat continues to be debased, then all assets are going to continue to inflate. And that includes Bitcoin, that includes real estate, that includes equities, right? And so if you want to play crypto, the simple thesis is just like for, for average Joe Boomer or even just average Joe Millennial or whoever, it's like, well, everything is going to go up. So you might as well bet on the fastest horse, which is going to be crypto. And it'll be more volatile. But for most people, they're better off not trading anyways. They should just buy and hold for like five years, right? Well, if you're going to buy and hold something for five years, you might as well buy and hold Bitcoin or some other crypto, right? So that's that's like the 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 high level thought process behind why you should just be net bullish over the next I, I'll save the next year or two because I don't want to predict beyond that because it's impossible. But I think for the next year or two, you should you should be net bullish Bitcoin, especially. And then because Bitcoin is going to continue to go up, crypto as a whole will follow. And so that gets back to my point in the beginning, which is whatever happens surrounding the ETF Frankly, I'm not that concerned, right? Obviously, I'm going to try to trade the volatility and make money how I can. But I think trying to overly focus, so many people are overly focused on this specific event. And obviously, it's a huge event. Don't get me wrong. But I think that my, my kind of contrarian opinion is Bitcoin isn't necessarily going up that much. Well, I think the initial rally, I think the, uh, call it the, you know, 26 to... 36k rally the initial huge move up was a lot of people positioning for the etf because that was clear that it was much more likely to be approved but at this point from you know 38k plus i think a lot of it is just because because equities have been ripping too like i said equities are are, are nearly back at all-time highs now so it's not just crypto and bitcoin that's going up i think that a lot of this is just that people are realizing the the asset bubble will continue, right? The show is going to go on in terms of assets going up only. Um, the ramifications for society and all of that, that's not for today. Um, what it means when the median home price in America is a million dollars, I don't know. And if that sounds insane to you, Go tell someone 30 years ago that the median home price in America would be like almost, what is it now? It's like 300,000 or something. And and that's like median United States. I mean, forget it. If you live in any major metropolitan area, you're not going to get a house for less than a million dollars in like five, 10 years. It's just, it's just where we're headed. So what that means for society, I don't know. What that means for Bitcoin is it's going to go up. <laughs> that's what I can tell you. Um, and, and, just, and just assets in general. Um, Anything where there is a limited supply and a narrative for value around it is going to go up versus fiat, right? So that's that's the broad idea there. Um, let's move on from the Bitcoin kind of macro thesis and move on to crypto uh, specific because you know we don't buy Bitcoin here. Listen, listen. With all that with all that talk I give about Bitcoin, I don't even own Bitcoin. Okay, I trade around it. And I outperform it. That's my job, right? Our job is okay. We know, we know Bitcoin and ETH or whatever are gonna do what they do. Our job is to outperform them. We denominate our portfolios in Bitcoin, okay? And so my plan to outperform Bitcoin 
is to bet on a few different categories. And that's kind of how I am approaching uh, this, this bull market. Um, so the main categories that I'm looking at are one, by far my, my biggest category that I'm the most highly convicted bullish on is AI. I believe AI coins are going to be the number one category of coins in crypto over the next year in terms of the biggest, best performers. And I've been saying this since December last year, exactly a year ago, I made a video and uh, I'll put a link to that. It's, it's called like identifying the next big narratives. And I basically said, AI will be the metaverse of this cycle. If you remember how big metaverse was in the last cycle, uh, not just within crypto, but within everything. I mean, Facebook changed its company name to meta. That's how big it was. Um, I believe that AI will be the metaverse of this cycle, but so much bigger. I think the AI bubble, and now this is much more you know common, but I've been saying this all year. The AI bubble is going to be the biggest bubble in the history. I mean, this is going to be very much .com 2.0. Like I think NASDAQ is gonna get hilariously like stupid. Like whatever you think is a stupid valuation for public company, for public tech companies that are in, in any way involved with AI, quadruple it because it's gonna get retarded, okay? And same goes for crypto. Whatever you think a big valuation is for an AI coin, if you're like, oh, wow, maybe this coin could go to 5 billion, try 50, try 100, okay? Because that's where some of these coins are heading. It's gonna get so dumb, I, 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 can't, I can't overstate it. So that's my biggest bet by far is AI coins. Second, RWA, real world assets. This is the one that is much more um, faded by by crypto uh, natives, I should say, because I think, frankly, people in crypto are just looking for like insane outsized returns. And so they don't care when you talk about like putting treasury bills, T-bills on chain and and, you know, real estate and whatever. And, oh, you're going to be able to get a passive uh, 15, 20% yield. People are like, I don't care about that. I'm trying to, you know, 10X my money in the next month. But these coins, these products are not for you. They are for the masses. They are for the boomers, okay? And nothing entices people more than the idea of like passive income and, and, and uh, earning more yield than they could get somewhere else and, and yield maximization. People love this stuff, okay? And that's where... RWA is going to shine because if you look at what one of the biggest bubbles within crypto was last time, it was the Luna Anchor Ponzi. Why? Because Anchor was promising 20% annual yield. That seemed pretty reasonable, right? In the land of thousands of APY and ohm forks and all these food farms and Ponzi's, right? The average person is like, I don't buy that. I don't believe a, a you know, 2,000, 10,000, 10 million APY farm. But you tell them one that's 20%, right? Based on a, a stable coin. Oh, oh, I can buy that. I can believe in that. And the exact same thing is going to repeat with RWA at such a bigger scale. It's, it's not even, it's not even going to be close. It's going to be massive, massive. I, I tweeted like, 
I don't know, a few months ago, and this has been the top of my mind ever since I thought of it. I just shot the tweet out. I said, there will be, I promise you, there will be a $100 billion RWA anchor, basically. There will be a Luna anchor that will go to 100. Luna went to like, what was the top of Luna? Like 50 billion or something, 60 billion. There will be a $100 billion RWA uh, coin. There will be many RWA coins, okay? I'm telling you, this 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 is one of my biggest convictions. Um, I I just think all this stuff is going to move on chain, and I think I think that the the rails that have been built over the last few years and the regulatory hurdles that are being overcome are really underestimated uh, in terms of RWA. And I love that people, especially the like crypto natives, totally sleep on it. And I love that people say, "Oh, I don't really buy that." Great, great, I love that. Um, so that's my, that's, that's another one. The third category that I'm very interested in, and this is one that's really started to heat up over the last month, but still very early is Bitcoin ecosystem in general. Um, if you think Bitcoin is going to be, you know, this great asset that everyone's going to want to own, and it's going to be on every, you know, financial news station for the next two years, Bitcoin is just about it's just shy of a trillion dollar asset it's like 800 something billion right now um and it's gonna be a trillion dollar two trillion dollar plus asset very soon and has no ecosystem right it's not like ethereum or any of these other chains where you have the main coin and then you have this whole ecosystem of coins there's nothing there's nothing built on bitcoin uh very much by design right very much on purpose but that's changing and whether the maxis themselves like it or not it's happening and the miners are in control and this solves a lot of the problems with bitcoin that famously people were saying well what's the incentive if you keep having more and more havings uh what's the incentive for miners to keep mining this right it's already a business that's a bit cutthroat and, and a lot of them lose money and all these arguments and now all of a sudden we've had this boon with ordinals and brc20s that miners make a ton more money and are way more profitable mining these blocks, right? And it's contributing to the Bitcoin security. Now, a lot of Bitcoin maxis are going to not like that, but it's just true, right? Because now you have more of a security budget to pay these miners. Um, so whether people, whether maxis like that or not, the purists, it's going to happen. It's happening, right? Builders are going to build. You can't stop the tech from being built. So the entire BRC20 category right now is literally like $1 billion combined. All the coins. I think that alone, I mean, we're talking about the biggest asset in crypto having no ecosystem, okay? I think this one category alone would be at minimum worth $100 billion. I think the whole category is gonna 100X, probably in the next year, right? Because think about it. How many, Bitcoin is going to be the hottest, most talked about asset, right? In this inflationary asset bubble. And you're gonna to have tons of funds and VCs and all these people who are gonna to wanna to get exposure but they can't buy Bitcoin, right? If you're a crypto VC or some type of discretionary fund, you're supposed to outperform Bitcoin. Well, what's one of the easiest, most obvious theses that you could provide them? Well, Bitcoin is already worth over a trillion dollars. 
but the ecosystem is worth nothing. It's worth literally 1 billion combined, all of the coins combined right now. And they're building all of the, the building blocks, the foundation that Ethereum and other chains already have. There's no decentralized exchanges on, on there's no Uniswap, right? on Bitcoin. There's no, there's just beginning to be some very rudimentary marketplaces. There's no borrow land. There's nothing. There's not even the DeFi building blocks, let alone the, the, the more advanced applications that can be built in the future. And you can go to all of these investors, all of these funds. And this is like one of the most brain dead theses ever. And it's, Hey, this is going to be the biggest asset in crypto. It already is the biggest asset in crypto and it's only going to get bigger and it's going to be on everyone's mind in the next year. Both funds, the public, people are going to start talking about how much of their portfolio should be allocated in Bitcoin, all of that, right? Bet on the ecosystem that's new and thriving. This is like betting on what's the what's the total I mean, Uniswap alone Uniswap by itself went to $25 billion in the last cycle, right? Just by itself, just one coin went to 25 billion. The entire Bitcoin ecosystem is a trillion, or sorry, a billion dollars right now. I think that 100X is easily, I think it's one of the most easy things to pitch. Um, the coin, I, I'll just say the coin I like most is Track. Uh, I'm gonna get it, I don't wanna talk specific coins in this episode, uh, I'll just, you know, shoot off the ones I like on RWA. I like Canto a lot. There's some other stuff I like. I'm not a big maker fan um, for various reasons. I'll get into that. I'm going to do a whole separate episode on like specific coins and then AI coins. Um, Olos and Tau are the two ones that I like a lot. I like some of the infra plays. There's some coins that haven't come out yet that I'll talk about in the future that I like a lot for, for AI. Uh, but anyways, those are the coins I like. Um, so those are like the broader categories uh, that I like a lot. And then you'll also have other categories that I think are interesting. I'm less interested in them in terms of like, if I had to make my top three, it would be AI, RWA, and Bitcoin ecosystem in terms of the risk reward there. I think um, um, GameFi will still have plenty of activity. I think there's going to be tons of GameFi scams and all that stuff, and and, and that'll be fine. Um, and then I think DSI, decentralized science, is like a very nascent um, category that's very, very cheap right now. A lot of the coins, the problem is I don't really know which coins to buy. There's some small caps that I like, um, but all of it is very, very small. Um, and you've seen, obviously, Vitalik has been big on longevity uh, for the past few years. Um, same with Brian Armstrong. He's big on on, on um, the idea of decentralized science. And then even uh, CZ came out and, and made a tweet recently about, uh, you know, biotech and all this. And I think it's a great narrative if you're looking at like bubbles. I mean, biotech is one of the most, uh, in, in terms of in terms of equities, it's, it's historically one of the most uh, volatile, bubble-inducing, over-inflated value uh, equity categories. And then you combine that with crypto and it's like a match made in heaven. Um, so I think there's a lot of narrative building there. And then you also have like outside of crypto, you have like, you know, Brian Johnson is becoming like a, like a celebrity now with his anti-aging thing. And I just think a lot of this like anti-aging longevity stuff, uh, these post-humanist whatever is going to be bigger. And I think you're going to have a lot of DSI with that. And I think DSI 
actually is like legitimate too, because a lot of this stuff, um, I, I don't work in academia, but I know from people who work in academia that a lot of this stuff is like totally gated off and it's totally, um, you know, uh, like hyper overregulated, hyper controlled, hyper institutionalized, right? Um, in terms of like, they don't, you can't even get access to like, you know, there's, there's, uh, I forget the, I'm sure plenty of you know, there's the, there's these like, uh, sites that where you can get these academic papers for free and these studies and all this, but it's like totally blocked off. Um, you, there's, everything's paywalled, uh, people get in trouble. Like I, I forget, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but you get the idea. Um, everything is like peer reviewed, paywalled, blocked off. Did you get approval for this, approval for that? And DSI is like kind of like the opposite. It's very similar to like finance, right? It's like finance is like this totally hyper regulated, you need to KYC, AML, every penny that goes through the system. And if you have a transaction more than $10,000, we want to know what it's about and blah, 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 blah. And then you have like DeFi, right? That's like doing the opposite of that. Um, and DSI, I think, could very much be a similar narrative. But I don't really have a pick there yet. I don't have any very good picks there. Um, still researching that one. So those, those are some, like, other nascent categories. And there's other stuff. I, I'm into, um, like, DPIN, decentralized. What is it? Decentralized physical infrastructure. I think that very much will go in with AI um, in terms of, like, GPUs and things like that. So these are categories that I'm all interested in. But if I had to focus... If I had to allocate and what I am allocating towards, it's like AI, RWA, and, and Bitcoin ecosystem stuff. Because I think those are slam dunk winners. I think they're a very, you can make a very clear thesis for all of them. Um, it's very easily explainable to everybody. Um, and especially a lot of the funds and money that's going to be chasing this market and to retail. Um, so I think those are all very straightforward. So anyways, I think I will leave it there for today. I hope you guys enjoyed. Glad to be back. First one back. I hope it wasn't too rusty. Listen, it's hard to do these monologues. I was a little nervous coming in. I had to prep. I was taking notes. I was thinking about what I was going to talk about. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed. There'll be a lot more episodes coming soon. Like I said, I'm going to try to make this a weekly schedule. Come on on Thursdays. There may be some variability. We'll see what the schedule looks like. Um, in the future, I may do live streams as well too, but I'm going to start with just the recorded videos. Um, and like I said, there's gonna be a long form version and a shortened version that will come out a little later. Um, interviews coming soon. Let me know who you want me to talk to. I'm going to try to reach out to a few people as far as traders go. Um, but I'm still going to do the solo show mostly. And then, uh, yeah, any other feedback, I'm open to it. So thanks for watching everybody. Make sure to obviously subscribe, blah, 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 blah. Um, shout out to Bybit, the sponsor of the show. Use the ref link in the description. It helps the show out. You know, we listen, we got people to pay now. We got people on payroll. So we need support. It's not just me doing everything now. So in many ways, you are you are creating a job if you use my Bybit ref link to trade. Plus, Bybit's just like a great exchange. Very liquid. You know, Binance is, is coming down a little bit after all the DOJ stuff. And my Bybit's kind of the place to be. So use the Bybit link to and, and you get bonuses too. You get like there's like thousands of dollars in bonuses if you just like deposit and trade the link so go it's like free money just go do it plus you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna leverage trade anyways right you're gonna do it anyway so just use my link be a nice guy okay support the show all right anyways guys thanks so much for watching i will see you next week